Hi everybody and welcome to the Golders Podcast, where we aim to sprinkle particles of knowledge by engaging and educating. With your co-hosts, father and son duo, Keith and David Mayer. We're excited to have you on this journey with us and we know our wide variety of world-class guests will provide lots of value for our listeners. To ensure you stay up to date with everything we've got going on on the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Today, we welcome Thomas Gronemark onto the Golders podcast. Thomas is probably best known as a throwing coach at Liverpool Football Club, but there's a lot more to Thomas that we talk about in this interview. Enjoy. Thomas, uh, welcome to Golders podcast. Uh, for those less familiar with who you are, could you please share a bit about where you're from? and share a little bit about your formative years in sport. Yeah, I'm uh, living in, in Skive, Denmark. That's the western part of Denmark. And I've been doing a lot of different sports in my life. First of all, I've been playing 14, 15 years of football, reached the highest youth level in, in Denmark, U19. And also played against good players like uh, Thomas Graveson, who, who later played for Celtic and Real Madrid. And so... But I wasn't good enough to be a professional football player. I was really fast, had good throw-ins. Uh, so in the mid-90s, I went to athletics. And already the first year I was training, I came on the Danish national team. Running 100, 200, 400 meters, also relays. And it was good uh, six years. I was several-time uh, Danish champion. also had a European championship in year 2000 together with my teammates from Aarhus Nettenhunderter four by 400 meter relay in Paris for club teams. In 2002, I've never been better, but I've been moving to the Western part of Denmark where I'm living now. And I was suddenly beginning to train alone and I, I thought it was a little bit boring. So in 2002, I changed sports to uh, bobsleigh and I came on the Danish national bobsleigh team. And I was on that team from 2002 to 2006 and we were, traveling all around the world, whole Europe, uh, Canada, the States. And uh, yeah, it was in the middle of that bobsleigh period. I thought, ah, hey, I want to be a, be a throwing coach. So, but again, I've been doing a lot of sports, been doing a lot of uh, basketball, playing a lot of street basketball. So yeah, I, I just love to do sports. You've obviously got a quite a mix of sports there. Now, in... In your early years, you broke a world record. You're in the Guinness Book of Records for the longest throw of 51 meters 33. What type of training do you undertake for you to prepare for that record? Yeah, first of all, I'll just mention that my world record was beaten last year by an American called Michael Lewis with a with an insane throw of 59.81 meters. Actually, I invited uh, Mike Lewis to Denmark like a couple of weeks ago. So, but you can see that video on, on my YouTube channel where he's trying to beat his own world record. That's totally insane, almost 60 meters. But back to my own world record. Uh, mm -hmm. In 2008, I've been a throwing coach for four years and I thought, hey, it could be super good to be, have the world's longest throwing when you're also the only throwing coach in the world. I could throw approximately 40, 42 meters with a normal throw-in. And the world record was 48.17 set by Mike Lochner from the States in, in 1998. So it was a 10 years old, that record. But I knew I couldn't beat the world record with a normal throw-in. So I had to beat it with a flip throw-in where you're taking a run in, jumping down on the ball, making a flip and then throwing the ball. 
but the challenge was that I was a non-gymnast that I couldn't even do like a small tumble. So I got help from um, three different gymnast coaches who had to learn me to make a flip throw in. And you also have to know that I was weighing approximately 100 kilos. So <laughs> it wasn't easier with that weight. Uh, it helped me a lot. I was really getting good. I had a world record attempt in the match between Denmark and Spain <clears throat> in 2008 in the National Stadium Parken, full stadium. And I had a world record attempt in, in uh, 2009 in the Olympic Stadium in Berlin in the halftime of the match between uh, Hertha Berlin and Wolfsburg with 40,000 spectators. And then in 2010, I beat the world record with a throw of... Um, 51.33 meters and that was at a girls football school in Denmark so it was a little bit more yeah <laughs> small surroundings if you can say that so but it's been mean a lot to me with the world record I set in 2010 not only as a throwing coach but also been been lucky to speak for over 500 companies about work joy motivation reaching your goals and so because of my world record and still speaking a lot so yeah, it's been meaning a lot to me uh, to set that world record. So it was totally fantastic years there. Thomas, you've touched on being a throwing coach. Can you talk about your current coaching role and what that entails? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm coaching a lot of professional teams. Uh, this season I've been coaching eight different professional teams for example Liverpool FC had had them the two last seasons just signed a new contract with them also coaching Ajax from Holland Ghent from Belgium another professional teams and some people think it's I'm only coaching the long throwing no actually the long throwing coaching is perhaps only five percent of my coaching I'm coaching after a philosophy called the long the fast and the clever throwing and that's the throw-ins all around the pitch so I'm coaching everything you can imagine around the throw-ins, both the attacking throw-ins, the defending throw-ins, how the, the players can throw longer, more precise, how they have the right timing, sometimes throwing fast, sometimes having patience. But I'm also coaching uh, the clever throw-ins. is three different zones on the pitch with 50 different throw-in tools. So, so the players can create more space and use that space to either keep possession or create chances and score goals after throwing situations. So I've been working with my philosophy for yeah 16 years. And um, so right now there's just a lot of um, clubs, coaches, managers who want my knowledge. And I'm, I'm totally happy about that because throw-ins have been a, a passion for me. Uh, I think I was, well, I was about 10 or 12 years old when I first got the real passion for throw-ins, seeing my big cousins do do great throw-ins, long throw-ins. So I'm, I'm really happy to be able to have my passion as, as my daily job. So, yeah, it couldn't be better. I look back for myself. The first real time I remember seeing throw-ins being utilised as a, as a weapon, so to speak, would have been Stoke City. So Rory Dilap comes in, they're in the Premier League, the long ball. And I mean, the, Rory Dilap, he could throw it from near, near enough the halfway line into the box. And it was a threat. Now, having said that, it was just long throws and that was it. 
now for yourself, you've touched on a, on a few different things and I'd, I think it's fair to say you're a maverick in terms of what you've done and you've actually created something that at the time wasn't a thing. Throwing coaches weren't a thing and you've, you've latched onto it and had great success. But what is it about coaching throw-ins that intrigued you so much for you to actually pursue it as a career path? I'll say I just love throw-ins. It's both like like focusing on the technique, how to make the players throw longer with video analysis. It's also like I'm I'm using a lot of things from basketball too with space creating. I really love to see how you create can create space between players, not individual wise. Of course, you do that sometimes, but mostly how can how can players create space between themselves so they can keep the ball or create chances, score goals, you know, all, all these movements. And so I'm just have a totally passion for them. So when I'm, I'm seeing a football match, it's, it's the only thing I'm, I'm looking at because I, I'm so, I'm so excited. So, so there are normally between 40 and 60 throw-ins in a match. So every time there's a throw-in, there's a throw-in quite often, then I'm just like a little kid ready for getting getting his christmas presents yeah you know because i'm just so excited to see the technique of the player how the players are moving are they utilizing uh, fast options or are they having good patience what strategy are they using so it's just i think it's just a combination of my my own uh, you know expertise as a football player myself i had all these movement things from athletics Bobsleigh, that was both like the innovative approach. That was also video analysis. We did several thousand video analysis of, of our bobsleigh starts every year, like looking at each frame every hundredth of a second. Then I got all the experience from, from um, basketball to myself, using that, seeing a lot of basketball. And then I'm also taking like, when I'm just taking a walk in nature, then I'm, I'm, I'm being, you know, I get a lot of things from nature too. For example, if I'm, I'm going a walk down the road and I see suddenly some birds that have some kind of natural awareness of each other also uh, compared to humans and so on. And you also have some kind of awareness when you're playing on a football pitch. So I'm getting, getting uh, inspiration in a lot of places, from a lot of places. And then I'll also say that a lot of people ask me, hey, what kind of football education do you have? What kind of license do you have? And then just to make fun, I'm saying that I'm, I'm having tea license, like throw-in license. Um, and I think w one of the reasons why I could like, it's hard to say if I've been making a throw-in revolution, but I think a lot of people, I mean that I've been really like, been moving football in, in a better direction with throw-ins. And I think one of the reasons why I could do that is because I'd never had a, um, a coach's education in football. And of course, you have to educate, you have to, and I think it's fantastic with all the good education, but I think you can be 100% sure if I was starting with, with uh, national education, then the UEFA CBA pro license, then I'll never been a throwing coach because then, you know, sometimes you're getting into a, a straight road of, of knowledge. So I think the fact that I'm coming from bobsleighing and athletics and basketball, I think that that was one of the main reasons why I can bring totally new things into into football or soccer. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so back to a question, if I answered, I'm, I'm just totally passionate about football throw-ins, soccer throw-ins, and and 
just thinking about it makes it makes me happy. And of course, if I can see it live or in a match, it's even better. Well, I know with basketball, they have a lot of a lot of throw-ins, so to speak. So the ball goes out, or there's a foul, or whatever happens. Now they're in a a much tighter area where there's they've got less to work with. Um, how much you've you've touched on it a little bit there, but how much of an influence? And how much do you still take from basketball to help yourself with new ideas? Is there anything that you do with that? Yeah, I, I, I'm still taking a lot of inspiration from basketball. You're also touching on on some things yourself. You're saying you're in basketball. You have you have a, like a smaller pitch, but on the other side, you can also say that you don't need so much space in basketball if you just have like. 30, 40, 50 centimeters more than your opponent, then you can just catch the ball with your hands. It's much easier to catch your, the ball with your hands than, than having a good first touch, um, you know, with, with, uh, with your feet. You can also say it's much easier to, to move your hands, like if it's coming like a meter to the side, you can, you can really fast uh, move your, your hands a meter to the side. But if it's coming a meter to the side or it comes to, to, to the stomach or to the chest in, in, in football, you'll be pretty sure that there's a good risk of losing the ball there. So, so yes, I'm taking a lot of th things from basketball, but you, but in football, you of course you have a bigger pitch, but you also have to normally create bigger space. So, so, but I, I just try to get inspiration from, from a lot of things. So sometimes I also just look at things and then I'm, I could look at, at a piece of art like going on a museum or at a gallery, then I'm looking at some a picture, and then I'm looking, hey, could I get get inspired with the throwing coaching there? And sometimes I'm getting totally inspired by some running patterns or so. And sometimes I'm also thinking, hey, you know, there was nothing to get there. So you know, I'm all the time I'm searching for for inspiration, and it's not only it's not only myself. It's also I really try to get inspiration from other people too. So. I had a guy. I had a, a training session with IX last summer, and I had an exercise, and I think, still think it was totally top exercise. But then one of the coaches, I think it was Christian Paulson, one of the assistant coaches, said, "Hey, couldn't we put two small goals into that exercise because then it would be even more motivating for the players?" And then I said, "Yeah, I think perhaps that's a good idea." We tried, and then the exercise was was even better. We had a I had a, an exercise with. With, with the Liverpool squad uh, some months ago before the corona where, where I just did, did the runs like 90 degrees into the pitch, just straight into it. Then uh, <clears throat> uh, John Henderson said that, hey, couldn't we, if we did it in 45 uh, angle degree instead, it would be even more uh, relevant for the game. And so I said to him, let me think about it. And then I thought, hey, I think you're totally right. So. So I also try to get inspiration from other people. So even though I think many people say that I'm the guy who knows most about throw-ins in the world, it doesn't mean I'm a throwing guru and everything I say is totally right or I can't be better. So, so I'm often also inspired on the pitch, but I could also be inspired uh, on a podcast like this where people are coming with a question or are coming with an idea. So I think it's really important to to be open-minded. Of course, you can't be open-minded 100% of the time, but I really think it's, that it's, it's important sometimes to, to open yourself totally up for, for new uh, things coming from, from other places or other persons. So, yeah. 
It sounds very much like the development's come, it's been an organic, uh, of an organic nature. There's lots of analytics and it sounds very much like, Thomas, as there's a, you're very tuned in, there's lots of sensory acuity, things that you're observing, you've, there's, there's mother nature that's been brought in, you're watching and observing other sports. But yet you touched on, you, you, you've not been and done the football course which might have actually stifled that, that creativity that you brought to the game. Equally, it's you've not come along and telling players what they must do. You're actually inviting them in to be part of that, their learning through your guidance. But what are the most common mistakes players make when, they, when they're attempting to throw the ball back into play? I'll just say, in, in general, there are... When I'm looking at, at football games all around the world, the, the level is just so, so bad. I just saw Juju a month ago or so, Dortmund against Bayern Munich. That's like two teams who have, have like billions of, of pounds in budgets and the, the throwing level were just so bad. They, they were putting each other under high pressure situations all the time. So it was clear for me to see that that they didn't really have any strategy, or at least it wasn't very complicated or complex. Um, the things that, uh, just a small thing like like throwing precision. I just see so many players who, are, who aren't able to throw to the teammates' feet uh, in the distance of like 8, 10, 12, 14 meters. If you get the throwing um at your hips, at your stomach, at your chest, there's a big risk of a bad first touch. And then there's a big risk risk of losing the ball or a really bad return pass or really bad uh, second pass uh, other place on the pitch. So, so and the, one of the reasons is that the, the players aren't really doing precise throw-ins, throwing drills in the training. And if you're not doing anything, of course, you, you're not being better at it. Then I'll also say that uh, the lack of movement among the players when there's a throw-in, it's really often the players are either standing totally still or only moving one or two meters. And if you're only moving one or two meters, you're not dragging the opponent. And often you have to, most of the time, you have to drag the opponent somewhere to create space for your teammates. So the most important thing with, with throw-ins isn't that I have to get the ball, it's instead we have to get the ball. So if you're looking at Liverpool's throw-ins, there's a lot of movement created, not for people themselves, but the team. Um, and one of the things that, one of the other mistakes is that if the players aren't moving or only moving a little bit, then the fullbacks are getting frustrated. And what do they do then? They're throwing a long ball down the line because the coaches are saying it's much better to lose it 30 meters down there than lose it here. And of course, you can say that's right, but why not try to keep it? So that's the reason why I have, I'm working with these three different zones and, and 40 to 50 throw-in tools. Um, so so there, is, there is a lot of common mistakes that's made again and again and again by, by players who are earning many millions per year. And uh, I, I, normally I'm saying there's no difference on the throw-ins if you're going to see a Champions League match or you're seeing grassroots football. It's just as bad. So in, in, in all the other things, like with passing, tackling, uh, tactical awareness, uh, all things, um, 
the professional players are like years in front of grass uh, root football players, but with throw-ins, I'll say that they, it's just as bad. So there's really a there's really a, a margin of improvement in in professional football with, with, with throw-ins, but also with for the spectators themselves because. There's not a lot of spectators and fans who who know what I'm doing with Liverpool FC. Of course, they can see some of the great, great things we're doing. But if you are looking at a basketball fan, uh, if you enjoy to see uh, basketball, you're looking at movements too. How can we create space for that three-point shooter so we can shoot it down in the basket or even at least get a good shot? If you love basketball, you all you also love to see space creation but right now fans in football don't know much about space creation in in uh, at throw-in so i can guarantee you in five or ten years when there is a throw-in then the fans will are going to see now oh yes there is a throw-in let's see what they're doing now so so my goal is also to improve the you know the the the, the feeling from the fans too when there is a throw-in i think that it'll be more, much more entertaining when when they have the knowledge too you mentioned players are moving if they just move marginally a couple of meters or so it's not going to engage or it's not going to actually have a massive impact on on an opponent is there any minimum distances that you'd want them to move before no, the ball's you, actually played in no, you can just say it's it's also very different you know i have a lot of different tools and i i'm it's important for me to say that it's not like uh, a playbook in American football where we're only doing one thing. That's like basic tools and then the players are using their own fantasy creativity. So, for example, in Liverpool, we have millions of options. Uh, so, but I'll say again, let's, let's just say we have, uh, we have two teammates standing uh, beside each other and they have two defenders in the back. Uh, if they're standing still, it's very easy to to mark the two players there because the, the defenders have total control if one of the players are just moving like like uh, three or four meters forward of course you can say that that he or she is creating space but if we're only focusing on, on these two players you can say that if you have only moved one defender like three or four meters there's still a very small gap uh, for the throw to throw into the, the the attacker on the back, but if if the first player can make uh, his defender move like seven or eight meters, then there's enough space for the thrower to throw to the feet of the guy in the back. So you know, in that 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 situation there, you may have to drag your your the defender. Um, seven or eight meters in in other cases it's it's other meters and it could be different angles it can be with with different timing but that's the way that's what i'm learning the players to to have a higher throwing intelligence so they can so they can feel and see what they have to do and feel it in their body of course you can do some specific moves like in american football in a playbook but in my opinion it's much more dangerous that that they're have a high throwing intelligence because then they have like <laughs> I don't know endless um, endless things they can do in at every throw-in. So um, so that's what I'm teaching the players. And so when you're actually working on the specifics of the throwing, Thomas, what 
Is there a step-by-step -step sequence you want players to follow for them to improve the technique? Yeah, I'll say first of all, uh, and I'd, it's two different things. Yeah, if, if we're talking about the long throwing technique, then I have a really specific. I'm working both with 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 the power position when the players on the line. I'm working with how to transfer the energy over the line. Then I'm working with with the running itself, like three main areas. And then I'm working. Of course, I have 30 different uh, technical parameters, and I'm in the first couple of sessions. I'm training the players in six, seven different things, and then after that, it's very individual. So that's when I'm talking about the long throw-ins. When I'm talking about what I call the fast and the clever throw-ins, then I'm, I'll normally I'll normally focus on in the first sessions with the team. I'm focusing on, of course, precision. I'm also working with make the players throw longer because the longer you can throw the greater throwing area you have to but i'm also working with uh, specific uh, space creation like like or the, the general space creation because the players need to have a, a basic understanding of space creation if you don't have that uh, it's really hard for the players to take the next steps after that i'm i'm going into like specific tools for for the fast and clever throw-in specific uh, drills. It could be like four versus four with a thrower, or a secret thrower, uh, or five versus five interval game on big goals, two goalkeepers, where I'm doing specific tools for uh, the fast and clever throw-ins. Um, and then after that, I'm also like focusing on individual uh, throw-in superpowers because some players are fast, some players are good with a first touch, some players are good at protecting the ball. And it's really important to use these individual throw-in superpowers in a game because why, if you want to create a big box and, and throw to a player who has to protect the ball, why not pick the player who's best to protect the ball? It's the same with, with, with if you want to go after a player who has to receive the ball in the feed? Why not go after the player who has a really fantastic first touch or so? And of course, you can't do that in every play, but why not try once in a while to do that? And then after that, I'm um, I'm learning the teams or players what you can do in the the three zones: the defending zone at your own penalty area, the middle zone, and then the attacking zone at the opponent's penalty area. Because it's different things you can do. There are Different kind, different kind of pressure. There are different angles. And for example, in, in your defending zone at your own penalty area, there are you're under enormous pressure. If you lose the ball there, you, you'll often get a chance against you if the opponents take the ball. But you can also say, on the other hand, that that um, if you're coming out of that pressure, it can give you a really good chance of of having a transition or or creating a chance yourself. And and this season. In Liverpool, we scored 14 goals after throwing situations all around the pitch. And it's not the long throw-ins towards the opponent's goals because we don't do that. But three of these 14 goals, that was after a really high-pressure throw-in situation where we had a throw-in at our own penalty area. So, so, so yeah, it, I'm trying to, like, step-by-step step learn the players to do that. And, and some, some analysis people in the social media, and, and of course, I'm, I'm really happy that they're analyzing my work. It's, it's fantastic. But some of the analysis people, they, they try to like, like take, take it on the other way. So said that, okay, here's a play from Liverpool. And if you make the same play, you'll have success. No, I totally disagree because first of all, it's not like a play, but we just did this. It was the player's imagination and fantasy. 
uh, that just, you know, worked it out after my like tools with their own fantasy. And then again, they, they couldn't do this movement if they hadn't learned all the basic things first. So, so, so that's the way it is. You have to build it up, like you say, in step by step, like everything else, not only in football, but also in life. You have to take the basic first before you can really like do the magic things. So you're giving the players the options. They're coming up with, they come up with the decisions, whether to throw it, where to throw it. Little triggers actually getting to understand and know who they're playing with, and then they they then make that decision to then throw wherever they need to throw it. But when you start to work with a team, approximately how long does it take for for them? to get any significant benefit or improvement? i say it's really different both from team to team, but also from player to player. Let's just say Liverpool FC. Um, they've been getting a really, really fast improvement because they've also worked a lot with the throw-ins when I'm not there. The last two seasons have been, been, um, been at Liverpool for uh, five visits per season. So, and that's two three training days, four training days per, per visit. But in all the weeks I'm not there, uh, Liverpool has worked with the throw-ins themselves after my drills and my recommendations. I've also been doing throw-in analysis with, uh, of all games and sending to Jurgen Klopp and all the other coaches. And of course, if, if you're not working with the throw-ins when I'm not there, your improvement would be slower. So, so that's the way it is with teams. And if I'm going to players, then... You might know it yourself as football or, or, or soccer coaches that it's very individual how fast players are learning. And again, I can give some examples. In Liverpool FC, uh, Andy Robertson, already after like a month or so, he was like going from, from not especially high level to world class because he understood it all. He could understand the mechanisms. He could do the drills. He had the timing, when to throw fast, when to have patience. You could see the space being created. Uh, but a player like Trent, right now, he's also world-class in my opinion. But he took like like six months more or so to than, than Robo to come to the same level. And it's not because he's a bad player, of course. He's a world-class player. But, you know, it's it's just very different how how the players are improving. And... and so it's really hard to say. And it's the same with the long throw-ins. I have, I have players who are improving 8 to 10 meters already only by technique in the first session. And then I have players who are improving 1 meter there, then 2 meter there. And so I had a guy from FC Midtjylland who improved from 24.25 to 37.90, almost 14 meters. And that was a little bit like step by step. So... So it's really, really different from team to team, from player to player, how they're improving. Thomas, so there are obviously the players that are playing at the highest level. But at what age would you start to focus on throw-ins? Is that something that kids should be doing from a young age or is it something that they should develop the higher up they go? I'll say that my recommendations... That's like, <clears throat> you can easily start from U10 or so. Uh, and actually right now I've been giving, I've been giving some four free exercises that you can use both from U10 to uh, professionals. Uh, that's like, like the basic um, throwing precision in the near area of the thrower. And you can start with them already from U10. And, yeah, and 
And by the way, you can find them um, on thomasgronemark.com slash free. Then, uh, and there are already like 2,300 coaches who've been getting these drills from all around the world. So you can start early. And, you, and, and some coaches might say, oh, it's way too early to start with throw-ins. And then I ask them, do you do throw-ins in matches? Yeah, they do. Uh, are you satisfied with the throw-in level of your, of your kids? No. Oh, they're really horrible. What have you done in training? Oh, nothing. So I'm seeing a lot of coaches who are totally unsatisfied with the throw-in level of, of their kids. I'm seeing a lot of kids who are frustrated because they can't really work this throw-in thing out. So, yes, of course, on one hand, you don't have to work with the throw-ins three times per week if you're playing U10 or U12. But you can easily start with small basic exercises. And one of the most important things, like the free drills I'm having, that's like precision to the feet and try to create space in, in the near space of the thrower, like uh, uh, eight, 10 meters distance from the thrower. And, and kids can use that too. So I think it's a shame that, that a lot of uh, young, but also adult, adult players are really bad at the throw-ins. I also, when I come to teams, I see a lot of... Uh, professional players who are really bad at the throw-ins and and also see it in the Premier League the Champions League like the level is just so horrible but who have learned the, the players that no one so imagine being a 25 year old professional players who just hate to take throw-ins I think that that's horrible so again I don't think you have to you have to start with U5 kids but you can easily start with U10s and do some like basic exercise so they get like this this security, this 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 good feeling about the throw-ins. And then I'll also say that, what would I prefer? Would I prefer a long throw-in down the line where we lose the ball? Or do I prefer a throw-in where we try to create space and then lose the ball? I'll, I'll prefer the last one because the kids are not developing anything, just throwing the ball down the line. Uh, so if we want to develop a good football game, we have to include the throw-ins too. And some, some people are saying, oh, it's uh, throw-ins are marginal gains or small gains. No, there are. There are normally between 40 and 60 throw-ins in a match. And if you're taking throw-ins and throw-in related situations, they are taking normally between 15 and 20 minutes of a match. So it's actually gigantic gains. So, so no matter, I think you can start from U10s. You just have to have the right drills. In regards to stats, you mentioned that Liverpool scored, they scored 14 goals this past season off, off throw-ins. Are there any other stats to prove that they, they add value to a team's overall performance? Yeah, you can say that. Of course, I have my own stats. And you can say that even though I try to be objective, some might think that I would be subjective because it's my own stats. Uh, Liverpool have their stats too. Uh, so, and I think they're also good because if they weren't, I don't think they'll hire me for the third consecutive season. But there was, there was some uh, stats from Chief of Football that came like last in, in the fall 2019. They were looking at throw-ins under pressure where the players are marked. And I think it's really good to look at throw-ins under pressure because I see some analysis people who are looking at all throw-ins. Um, but, but I don't think it gives any meaning to, to look, look at the throw-ins where you're not under pressure because <laughs> you know you're just getting the ball and nothing else. But Chief of Football looked at throw-ins under pressure in the Premier League and, and, and the leagues in Europe. 
and in the 17-18 season before I came to Liverpool, Liverpool were only number 18 out of 20 in the Premier League with a possession of 45.4%, so third last in the, prim, in the Premier League. Uh, but in my first season in Liverpool, 18-19 um, season, we improved to 68.4% and went from number 18 to number one in the Premier League. So uh, it means a lot, first of all, uh, if you keep possession at a throw-in under pressure, you are keeping control, having control on the game, because if you lose the ball, you're often caught out of balance. Uh, you're on your way forward, and suddenly the opponent is, is taking the ball. And you can also say if you keep possession, you are also able to create chances or score goals after that throw-in situation. So, so uh, throw-in procession uh, at throw-ins under pressure is really important. So that's like the numbers I have on, on the things that I can share. And, and you can say it's not my numbers. It's, it's like uh, unattached uh, analysis people have made that. So. Of course, I'm really proud about that, but but it's also like it's teamwork. You can't make a difference just by having knowledge. You you can make a difference if you're working with a team. So I'm also proud of the cooperation with the the coaches in Liverpool, the players, the analysis people, the physical coaches, and so on. So um, yeah, so throw-ins are really important. You've obviously built up a strong connection with. The Liverpool coaches, you mentioned you, you work at Ajax, you mentioned you work at Ghent, and I'm sure there are many other uh, professional clubs that you work with, Thomas. How do you help reduce the conflict of interest between working at the, you know, in the EPL and, and other clubs? Yeah, if you asked me a short time ago, uh, I'll probably say that I just try not to coach the rivals from the clubs I'm coaching, like the direct rivals. But, you know, after the corona period, I think it would be another thing if I like, like earned two million pounds per year. It was just a matter of like, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm earning a lot of money no matter what. But even though I, uh, I earn okay by being a throwing coach, helping the big clubs, I'm also vulnerable at a thing like uh, the coronavirus. And so I've just decided that I'm coaching any team unless I have an exclusive contract with a team. So any team can say to me, we, you can only coach us in our league, for example, Premier League, and they can pay me for that. So, uh, and if they're not paying me for that, then... Um, I can coach every team and and that's like an opinion I've been changing like it's been in a short time and of course it's it's also because I don't have a I don't have a choice um or I have to take a choice either mm -hmm. I'm a throwing coach or I'm not a throwing coach it's it's not like I can combine being a throwing coach with other jobs because I'm traveling a lot so I have to to be able to live for it, so or buy it. So at the moment, I'm I'm just saying I'm coaching any team who wants my time, and if any team wants to have me exclusive, it's fine for me. But but they just have to pay for it. And I know it's a little bit cynical, perhaps, but but I think that that uh, I think I was really naive when I came to to the professional football world. Like I thought that. That oh, if if I do well, I'll just like be paid well too. 
but at the time it's still like I still have to bring in a lot of clubs to uh, to be able to put food on the table for my my family so that that's the way it is at the moment and like it has been tough for some clubs too it's also tough for me as a throwing coach so right now getting back to your question I'm coaching any club in the world no matter who they are no matter who I'm coaching in the league unless I have an exclusive contract so yeah that's the way it is it's very evident you're very proud of that connection that you have with the English Premier League champions Liverpool and the coaching staff what does it take for that connection to be built you work with Jurgen Klopp Pep Linders and other members of the Liverpool staff to build a connection with someone that you've never met before and for them to build that trust what is it that you do for that to occur so quickly i just think uh by nature i'm i'm i think uh, as myself as a kind person i try to be open-minded i try to listen to even though i can talk a lot about different subjects I try to listen to, and I think that's the way it is in, in Liverpool FC with both Jürgen, but also the other uh, coaching staff that people are really like, like with you when you're with them, like, like listening. And, and, and for example, Jürgen Klopp could easily have been saying to me when I came to the club, we've been doing some things with the throwing before. Can't you just polish that a little bit? No, he just said to me, hey, we're 100% sure that you can help us. So I've been been giving a free role in Liverpool. So I, I'm just trying to be open-minded when I'm in Liverpool to share knowledge, not only about throw-ins, but also with other things in, you know, even though I'm not a, an expert physical coach, I have a lot of experience there. I try to give out my knowledge about, for example, public speaking to, to some of the staff members in, in Liverpool FC, if they feel, they, if they're asking about it. And so, so I think I just try to be open-minded and try to, you know, fit in. And you can say it's a little bit, you just want to fit in. Yeah, I think it's a good, good thing to fit in among people, especially because even though I've been a lot in Liverpool, it's only five weeks per Per season, so I'm not with people every day. If you're with people every day, every week, you're not, you're you're getting to know each other on on a different level. So no matter if it's Liverpool or Ajax or somewhere else in the world, I just try to be nice, uh, share knowledge, listen. I think when you do that, um, it can't go totally wrong. So um, yeah. Now, for you on a on a personal level, you mentioned all of the things that you've done and that you've achieved. So from playing football to athletics, to bobsleighing, to, to now doing what you're doing. But what has been your, your single most successful achievement to date? Oh, it's hard to say. Uh, you know, people, people are always uh, talking about their kids. Um, when they're talking about achievements, I have two kids too. And I'll also say I did that in, in the first try with both. So I'm really proud about that. So, <laughs> no, it, it's really hard to say because sometimes I think it's also about relations. Um, I'm really proud of what I've been achieving in sports. I'm actually most proud of the things I've been doing with other people than myself because I've been doing a lot of things uh, individual by setting a world record or been winning individual championships as an athlete 
But I think the things I'm most proud about is my like the things I had with my relay team in athletics, the things we did with my bobsleigh team, the the tiles I, I won together with Liverpool FC with the Champions League, the, the Premier League too, of course. And so for me, it's like like doing things together with other people. That's what excites me. Even though I've been winning a lot of things as as a person, it's I never seen myself as a winner, like like a a guy who just wants to win everything. No, actually, I think I could perhaps have been achieving much more in athletics if I've been like a little bit more um, egoistic there. So if I have to highlight something, it, it's achieving something together with other people. That that's what I really like. So the feeling that that we've been doing something together, it's probably. You've probably been feeling that as a father and son by publishing your book together. That that I've been publishing a bestseller book myself in in Denmark, but that, that was me alone. Of course, I'm totally proud and everything, but to do something together with other people that it just creates fantastic relations and a, and a fantastic feeling. So all the things I've done with with together with other people, I, I really look look at that as as the highlights also with my family and so so yeah there's been a lot of things it sounds there's a there's that big accumulation of contribution towards somebody else's development and the feeling of significance that provides for you to help other people grow is a it's it's a nice feeling not one element of your life or life experiences may stand out but it's very very clear certainly listening to you as you uh, you get a great deal of satisfaction in helping so listen thomas the final question uh, what does the future look what does it look like for you you i know we spoke in the past you mentioned about the bestseller over in denmark and then you're in the process of writing another book how's that taking place how's that shaped up I'll just say that, first of all, I just um, love to coach a lot of professional clubs around the world because I like, just like had a lot of fantastic experience by this year before the corona started. I was in, in the States, I was in Qatar, Spain, Belgium, Holland, England, Denmark. So to, to be allowed to travel with with the work you love meeting a lot of fantastic people it can't be better than that so i hope to continue to do that in the future with clubs then i'm also saying i'll also say that i hope to when i've been publishing in my future my book about throw-ins to be able to travel the world too and and educate football soccer coaches in in the art of throw-ins the long fast and clever throw-in philosophy and already now I've been like people writing to me from China, India, Brazil, Europe, States, Canada, ask me to come. And, and right now it's really difficult, first of all, because of the Corona, but it's also difficult for me to duplicate myself. Uh, so I hope that I, in the near future, have the time to travel and educate people. So, um, because I love to travel and, uh, if you can travel with your hobby, even though I'm living as a throwing coach, it's also a hobby for me. It's a passion for me. So it, it can't be, be any better. So, yeah, I'll just try to 
the biggest goal is to to change football and have better throw-ins. So both with the clubs and and inspiring people. So um, that's my dream. And how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, first of all, you know, I'm on every social media. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you can also go to my homepage, thomasgronemark.com. And as I mentioned a little bit before, I have some free drills. You can find it on thomasgronemark.com slash free. Yeah, already 2,300 coaches have been picking them up. So I'm really proud of, about that. So, or you can just write to me via my homepage. So um, I'm pretty easy to uh, get a hold of. So uh, you can also try to to put out smoke signals, but I don't know if it still works. So, 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 uh, yeah. Thomas, look, we've got to thank you for your time today. I think what you've done is inspirational to, to have achieved, look, you've several different sports, world record, but I think the biggest thing for me is you've created something that wasn't a thing. And, and as we know, we know how the world works. When something new comes along, people probably doubt you. And they'll probably say, that's a load of rubbish. Oh, we're not having that. I'm not buying it. And you stuck by what you believed in. And by doing so, you've, you're obviously very, very good at what you do. So you believe in it, but you're very good at it. And I think it's just an absolute credit to you that you've gone with it and you've had the success you've had. And I know my dad and I share this. Long may it continue. And I'm sure there'll be a lot more coming for you. And you said in five, ten years, there'll probably be fans looking at the game, noticing little things from throw-ins. And really, that's probably come, that'll come back to you and what you've actually created and stuck by from the day that you started it. So I want to thank you for for coming on today, but I just think what you've done is absolutely exceptional. Thanks. I'm, I'm really happy for those uh, kind words. I'm really appreciating every time someone says some positive things about me and, and my work. So it's the best thing for me to, to, to make a difference for, for people, no matter where they are in the football or soccer world. So, um, Thank you for, for your kind words. Thanks for tuning in to the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more, or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast. And also, you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>